from Integral Life, welcome to Everyone is Right. We want life, in fact, to be as fluid as possible, right? We want our emotions not to get stuck, uh, but to move fluidly and our thoughts to move fluidly so we can be more creative and so forth. Today, we are pleased to feature an episode from our friends over at the Buddhist Geeks podcast. This conversation is between Ryan Olke and author Judith Blackstone, a teacher in the contemporary fields of non-dual realization and spiritual, relational, and somatic psychotherapy. Listen as Ryan and Judith chat about the important connection between embodiment, non-dual realization, and healing, and how all three of these help deepen one another. We want to thank Buddhist Geeks for sharing this episode with us, and we highly encourage you to check out their podcast over at BuddhistGeeks.org. And finally, before we begin, I want to let you know about a new training program crafted by Ryan Olke called Embodied Success. This is such an exquisite program, carefully designed to help evolutionaries, changemakers, co-creators, and integral co-conspirators like you discover your own source of radical fullness and unshakable success. Stay tuned at the end of the episode for more details about embodied success. And now, Ryan and Judith. Hello, Buddhist Geeks. It's been a long time. This is Ryan Olke, one of the co-founders of Buddhist Geeks, and I'm back on the mic today to chat with Judith Blackstone, who's also one of my teachers. Judith is an innovative, experienced teacher in the contemporary fields of non-dual realization and spiritual, relational, and somatic psychotherapy. She developed the realization process, a direct path for realizing fundamental non-dual consciousness, as well as the application of non-dual realization for psychological, relational, and physical healing. She currently has six books in publication and has taught the realization process for over 35 years throughout the United States and Europe. And her newest book is Trauma and the Unbound Body, The Healing Power of Fundamental Consciousness. And you can read more about her and the realization process at realizationprocess.org, along with information about workshops and teachers' trainings, and uh, both online and in person. So, Judith, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, so today I wanted to talk with you about, um, you know, the realization process in general, but particularly um, your emphasis on embodiment and what that means in non-dual realization, meditation, healing, and trauma, and relationships. So a lot of this is going to relate to your new book, which I absolutely love. Um, and before, um, I wanted to have you give, you know, a, a general overview for people who might not be familiar with your process. And um, in particular, what's unique about it compared to what some people might experience with traditional paths of meditation and healing. And I have a quote from your book that for me really captures the heart of um, the realization process from, in my experience anyways. And the quote is, to be in contact internally with our body is at the same time to be open to our environment. Everywhere we are in contact with ourselves within our body, we are alive and responsive to the world around us. This produces a lived experience of continuity and connection with everything and everyone we encounter. So I love that quote. And Judith, um, yeah, could you expand on this? <laughs> yes. So uh, it definitely starts there, but there's one important thing missing from mm. that. Mm. 
little segment of the quote, and that is that not only are we open to the environment, but in inhabiting the whole body uh, and letting go of our of our protective grip on ourselves mm. and the whole body, we actually are able to uncover an experience of ourselves as being, as made of a very subtle, spacious, expansive consciousness. I call it fundamental consciousness. So it's not just openness, it's also actually experiencing one's own nature as being made of this consciousness. Now, we at that point experience that the whole internal space of the body is made of this fundamental consciousness. And at the same time, that everything around us, the chair, the computer, the outside the trees, everything is, uh, is made of and pervaded by an unbroken expanse of this very subtle consciousness. Mm. Yes, the, the releasing of the grip. I also love that description of this. And so this leads into my next question, but I still would love to expand on a little bit about you know, are the listeners here, a lot of them obviously are in the Buddhist world, um, but some people outside of that. And um, for me, I've experienced this personal differences um, from maybe some traditional paths of meditation or healing, you know, in psychotherapy world. And for me, you're doing something unique here um, in this, this, this uh, process. Um, and this releasing of the, the grip on our experience. And another word you use is uninjurable, um, which I love as describing um, this experience or this uh, pervasive fundamental consciousness. So I'm curious if you could speak a little bit more to that. Uh, yeah, uninjurable. So very important, especially for, for healing, for maturity, but, but also to know that that's, that's our basic nature mm. uh, is, is helpful. Uh, fundamental consciousness, and of course we need to be careful. We don't know if there really is such a thing as fundamental consciousness. We know that we can experience it, that we can experience a very, very fine consciousness as our own nature. That's the experience. And that consciousness, because it's consciousness, a pure transparency cannot be injured. Now, there does seem to be some allusion to this in the Buddhist uh, teachings. For example, in Zen Buddhism, they say, I have never moved from the beginning. Mm. It's a beautiful phrase. I've never moved from the beginning. Uh, now, of course, like with all these wonderful, pithy little Zen yeah. phrases, it can be interpreted in many different ways, and right. it's actually, I think, meant to be sat with and interpreted in different ways. But to me, it means that this basic nature of ours uh, it can't be changed. And if we do know it as pervasive consciousness, it's obvious why not, because it's it's simply an expanse for consciousness. You can put your hand through it very hard. It doesn't do anything to it. You can yell angrily through it. It doesn't do anything to it. Uh, so so it's, um, it's beyond injury. Yes. And yeah, for me too, that, that word, obviously I can associate it with other words of like um, unconditioned, unchanging. And there's a lot of words and different descriptions, you know, in Zen and Sokjin, Mahamudra yeah. traditions like that. But um, also my personal experience and observation of others is that some of these words don't, I mean, they're totally fine. I love them, um, but they don't necessarily speak to this uninjurable part, which for me, uninjurable brings up relational experiences 
like for somehow it bridges those two because how would I be injured? You know, I'm injured from something else from some other. And so to me, that speaks a little bit to, to how you, I don't even want to say bridge, but like somehow these two things are um, part of one process, this um, waking up, this uh, non-dual realization, this healing process too. I think they are. I think they are one process, especially when we get to the kind of far reaches of it, as now really so many of us have. Mm -hmm. uh, psychological healing, uh, psychological wounding is always in relation to something and usually to someone. Um, uh, our earliest uh, constrictions, the way we limit ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, we do that in order to protect ourselves or in order to mirror and, and be in better connection with the limitations of the most important people in our in our early lives. When we know ourselves as fundamental consciousness, and especially when two people together know that, they yeah. experience that they're actually made of this one consciousness. Mm. Very important that they can keep in total contact with themselves all the way through their own body at the same time. This is really important altogether for what, we're, what we can call non-duality or oneness. Mm -hmm. um, as some people understand it at any rate, as I understand it, it's not just something out there and it's not just something inside myself, but it's both, it's me and it, me and you, mm. uh, otherwise it's not oneness. So when we uh. both know ourselves as fundamental consciousness, uh, we know both our own being, which which also means how we're responding, what, what the movements within this stillness of fundamental consciousness are. At the same time as we can know the other being, the other person, quite deeply and intimately in terms of contact, and even to some extent see or feel uh, what their experience is. Yes. So uh, this brings up um, a little bit the experience or issue of spiritual bypassing um, in meditation practice. And so I'm, I'm curious, like if, if you're talking to somebody who's very much uh, up on this path of, I need to sort of transcend my uh, relational experiences. I need to get sort of beyond this everyday stuff in order to get at a um, pervasive ex you know, experience of something unchanging, um, unconditioned. I, what do you say to them? I mean, I, I know you're speaking to it, but sometimes it takes a little convincing in my experience, <laughs> you know, to, to say like, ah, that sounds like, I, and people could be quite allergic. Actually, this has been said to me several times in working with others in this process. Yes. People say, I'm allergic and I was allergic to this stuff for a long time. Yes. And, and I also find that actually once people really drop in, something really shifts and there's a real deep trust in, in the process. But up front, it's, there's a big allergy to it. And so it's, it's more of like, you know what, that sounds all fine, but if I can just get to a place where I don't have to deal with any of this, right. that would be much better. <laughs> Wouldn't that be better? Yeah. Uh, yes, I just don't think you can get very far that way. Um, again, because of this, of this oneness of really uh, knowing ourselves as fundamental consciousness, which is an experience of self-other oneness, mm. um, that if the other is avoided <laughs> or yes. if, or if even my potential to connect with the other, those protections are in place, I won't even have my own internal wholeness because those protections are still in place. 
And every time we see another human being, which let's face it is pretty often, they'll mm -hmm. connect again. And, and in fact, a lot of them are just simply chronic and static. Doesn't even, mm -hmm. you know, we could even go away to a mountaintop forever for the rest of our life. And those uh -huh. restrictions would still really be in place. Uh -huh. um, that said, you know, it might be, might be easy. I think so. I think you need to let go of those constrictions, really knowing how they came about, um, in order to really let go of them and then put them into practice with these other human beings. Uh, mm. Because even if we're alone on the mountaintop, there's going to be squirrels, you know. And <laughs> yeah, those darn squirrels. <laughs> those <so> squirrels. Uh, <laughs> there's going to be the occasional other monk who wanders by. You know, you, you know, so it might be helpful, at least at the beginning of one's path, to be isolated. I, you know, I don't know, you know kind yeah. of rid yourself of the ch everyday challenge. But I don't think you'll get all the way through that way. Yeah, so in other words, we're always in relationship to, mm. to our surroundings and to other people and to other beings. You know, it's going to be hard to find a place where we're not in relationship. <laughs> That's right. We're, we're in relation to sounds. Yeah. Right? And one of the ways that especially very sensitive children who grow yeah. up to be sensitive spiritual adults, yeah. uh, you know, sounds bother us and... <laughs> yeah all kinds of things so you, you go to that mountaintop there's going to be that squeaky bird all the time you know yeah totally and you had a description um in your new book about how we might feel this openness in certain parts of our body um for example um a lot of meditators might be um open um uh, in their head area you know with awareness but in other parts of their body, they don't experience that same pervasive openness. Um, and actually, in my experience, I recognized um, in the past, I had been experiencing that quality really only in part of my, my experience, not fully. And so that, to me, was another distinguishing quality. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, about how, yeah, that we can attune a little bit to this openness, but it may not be pervasive actually through our whole body and our whole experience. That's right. And I think what you just said is very important that even in the part of yourself that's open, you're not going to get all the way through unless you open through the rest of your being just because of the way we're, we're made, uh, you know, kind of a fractal, you know, self-similarity mm -hmm. sort of geometry. If, if, we're, if we constrict our chest, then part of our awareness is constricted. Uh, that constriction will be all the way through us. So, mm -hmm. so this is important because if we do isolate ourselves and just meditate, we will, chances are very likely that we will just meditate where we're most open and most comfortable. Mm. Right? And yes. then we get more and more open, you know, nicely in the place where we are comfortable. The rest of us stays closed. And even in that comfortable place, we don't get all the way open. Yeah, that's very true. So I've noticed this too in different spiritual traditions, like some traditions might emphasize the mind and others emphasize the heart. And it seems like what we can do is double down on the place that we're open, mm -hmm. um, which feels really good. But those other parts of us keep, um, you know, being constricted, keep uh, humming in the background uh, of our experience. How can people shift to start noticing this difference that, well, that they're open in one part of their, their body with with this fundamental consciousness, but not in others. Well, that's why I do these practices and yeah. you know, the realization process of inhabiting the body. And I don't just say, okay, now feel that you're in your whole body, because again, we'll just enter into those parts that we, that we like. Mm. 
But no, I say, you know, like go through the whole body. And then people yep. go, oh, do I really have to go through the whole body? Yeah, because you can only <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. the parts where you don't ordinarily get to. Right. Um, now, some of those parts of the body will be so tightly gripped and so importantly gripped because they mm. were protective. And that's where the psychological insight and release work uh, becomes important. But still, if we're just habitually in one part of our body, then doing the practice of inhabiting each part and then the whole body can be helpful for revealing at least, uh, you know, where we're not that comfortable. Yes. So in this, uh, so you, you cover this uh, uh, core practice in the book, uh, Tuning to Fundamental Consciousness, and that practice we're going into, we start in our feet and go all the way up through our body for each part of the body, taking time to it. And that's been my experience. It becomes very clear, you know, what parts of my body I feel um, more alive in, more living in, and what parts I'm, you know, feeling diffuse or constricted. Um, and my experience is like, it seems like people can attune to this fairly quickly if they're going through the, the process to start noticing, I guess that's what I should mean, to start noticing, oh yeah, I actually feel open in my head, but not so much in my chest. That's been my experience teaching. People get to this very easily, you know. People are, you know, unlike, you know, maybe a thousand years ago or whatever, people seem to be quite ready for uh, for knowing themselves as this pervasive ground, mm. that experience of oneness. What do you notice um, in people as this shift in awareness, shift in um, embodiment occurs or starts happening? You know, especially like if you've worked with people who've been meditating for quite a long time and all of a sudden they start going through this embodiment uh, practice. Are there certain signs or certain experiences that people, um, you know, Yeah, so many, you know, so many different signs and experiences. Uh, But of course, there's a, you know, when someone uh, attunes to themselves as fundamental consciousness, which we pretty much need to be in our wholeness, maybe not all of our wholeness, but most yeah. Uh, before we break through into fundamental consciousness. But then there's a, a real subtlety both to our experience of ourselves and, and looking at a person to our experience of that person. It's like we can easily see into them, you mm. know, there's nothing keeping out mm. our seeing of them or connecting with them. Uh, there's mm. a glow, you know, there's mm. a luminosity. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I noticed, I mean, for me, it's often a lot of softening. Uh, it, and I don't know if that's the right quite, kind of word because it doesn't mean like a um, a dimming. There's a there's a glowing to it and a softness to it. But that may be my just my experience so far. <laughs> yes. Um, so you use another word that I love, um, disentanglement. And I, I would love for you to talk a little bit about what that means um, in this practice and, and in healing and how that differs or how it's related to other terms like um, detachment or non-attachment. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. So fundamental consciousness is experienced pervading everything, like even matter, like even the chair Mm -hmm. uh, seems to be both made of consciousness and solid at the same time. And certainly our own body, we experience that. We experience, yes, we're made of, uh, you know, matter, flesh and muscles and so forth, but we're also made of clear, empty, conscious space. And, And that's an, that's an actual that's an actual experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, it can't pervade us unless it's disentangled from the from the uh, content of experience. So I make a distinction between ground and content. We, mm-hmm. This ground that we can know ourselves of as fundamental consciousness is experienced as stillness, 
there's nothing else in our experience that is yeah. still you mm -hmm. know motions move even the chronic holding patterns have some movement to them mm -hmm. uh, everything moves mm -hmm. and um and we want life in fact to be as fluid as possible right we want our emotions not to get stuck uh, but to move fluidly and our thoughts to move fluidly so we can be more creative and so forth. So, so the more we know ourselves as the stillness of fundamental consciousness, the more we can say disentangled or not gripping, that's what I mean by disentangled, mm -hmm. not gripping, uh, not impeding, not clamping mm -hmm. down mm -hmm. on our emotions, our perception, our thoughts, our understanding, our, our, our physical pleasure, on anything like that. Uh, so... Uh, so that's what I mean by disentanglement. Now, uh, detachment, mm -hmm. uh, of course, can be used if it's understood as disentanglement and not as blocking sure. out experience. Because uh -huh. that would be the opposite, right? That would right. really be clamping down. Uh huh. Yes, so, um, but with not entangled, so, okay, when we're talking about disentangling and the not impeding, I, I love that phrase, um, this not impeding of this ground of our experience, um, not impeding of the content of experience. Of the content of experience, yes. Yeah. Um, so sometimes in in you know meditation path, the idea is to to repeatedly let go of the content, right? So as much as possible, can I just let go of the content? But in your book on uh, trauma and bound body and in healing, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the experience is that by doing the healing work that also helps to disentangle to um to lessen this impedance um so in a sense it's for me that's different than than simply practicing non-attachment that's actually like working with the content of my experience and yet it still helps me in that um in feeling more free and present is that accurate and if so you know can you talk a little bit more about that the more we let go of the protective constrictions throughout mm -hmm. our body mm -hmm the more we open to and realize or know ourselves as the disentangled ground of fundamental consciousness. Mm -hmm. right? Are we, mm -hmm. so, um, so can you ask that question again? Yeah, sorry. Well, um, if I tune to fundamental consciousness, I'm more able to work with the content of my experience. Is that accurate? Yes, we, yes, it reveals it, you know, so we have this ground and then there's just little, little puckers in it or, you know, yes. little, you know, some people experience it as dark places or as, or as tensions, rigidities. Yes. yes. And then reverse again, let, tell me if this is correct. Um, if I work with the content of my experience, the, my constrictions, I'm able to then also more deeply inhabit my body, that's deeply attuned to fundamental consciousness. That's right. That's so, right. Because that's what keeps us from knowing ourselves fully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's what's really wonderful to me about this is that, and again, I use this word earlier, bridge, but it doesn't actually, uh, it's not the right word to me. I mean, embodiment is more the word that I think I would use. It's uh, the, these two are related as we started off talking about, like they're not separate that's practices, right. separate experiences, and they're intimately related to one another. Intimately related. Yeah. 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 At, at the certain point in your path and for for a lot of people it's it's now uh th these these two are the same they, they're absolutely reliant on each other right so yeah so my question earlier about the non-attachment is that non-attachment by itself doesn't seem to emphasize the second part that actually working with the content going into it rather than just 
you know, trying to let go of it is actually really useful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, usually non-attachment is a, is a mental process. It's something we have to keep telling ourselves. Uh huh. You know, I, I don't need that person. I don't need that person. <laughs> right. You know? I don't need chocolate cake. I certainly don't need chocolate cake. You have to keep telling yourself. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So this is an interesting switch. So we switching from telling ourselves something to living it. Uh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Because you know, telling yourself and and pretty much uh, it is a kind of clamping down, right? I'm going to rid myself of my need for that human being or my knee jerk aversion uh, to that human being, whatever it is. Mm. Uh, but to do that, I need to control my emotions. Mm. Well, you know, and even my thoughts. But we're going for kind of the opposite of that kind of control, and so we're so in all then in order for me to heal my need for that person or my aversion to that person, I need to really look at what is it, what's going on. They remind me of someone, mm. you know. I need more contact with myself in order not to be so needy. You know, all of those things have to actually heal, and then we don't have to control our emotions, right? Yeah. We're, spontaneously feeling and so forth without that um, addiction or attachment. Mm. And so this, uh, this experience of telling ourselves something versus, you know, um, being intimate with our experience and, and living it um, starts me thinking about the, um, the deeper healing work in your new book. And, and I know we can't really get into the actual practice of it, but I wonder if you could talk a, a little bit to it um, about how, people start attuning or, and working with these um, patterns that they, they notice in their bodies. Like, oh, I keep telling myself I shouldn't feel anger. I shouldn't feel right. joy or whatever it might be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's many reasons. For one thing that we have constricted ourselves, but mostly it's to either, when we're little children, to keep in what doesn't meet with approval, like if our tears aren't met with nurture or our anger is met with bigger anger coming back towards us or whatever, that we need to clamp down on that. Or to keep out angry voices, angry face, food when, when we're not hungry, you know, to keep out experience. So mostly our constrictions are like that. If they're repeated, they harden in the tissues of our body, those patterns. And we'll use, we'll use often the same pattern for a slightly different circumstances. Keep mm. out angry voices, also keep out something else, you know, keep out that overly affectionate uncle or whatever. We use the same pattern of, of keep out. Uh, these patterns begin to harden in the tissues. They become unconscious mm. by definition. They're parts of ourselves that we have made not conscious and and that actually rigidifies the tissues in our body mm. uh, the fascia probably right and the energy mm. so everything becomes held so we can use it's it's not easy to release these holding patterns or even to become aware of them we do need to do the embodiment work usually in order even to be aware because by definition those are pockets of not aware right yes. so to become aware of them Oh, you know, we need to inhabit the body and see what something, oh, something's in the way there. What is it? And then we need the very refined focus that we cultivate uh, in another one of the realization process practices, which is the core breath, where we, where we get to the very subtle vertical channel that runs through the torso, neck, and head, which, you know, comes mm -hmm. out in Buddhism, comes out in Hinduism, that channel, the wisdom channel. 
very, very fine attunement to ourselves. And then we can, we can focus that attunement in, in a particular kind of way within these constrictions that helps release them. And I think what's really important um, in the realization process is that when we do release these, we're not releasing into nothingness, right? It's like, just mm. let go, you know. Mm. No, we're releasing into this ground of our being that we've already begun to, to realize, to mm. experience. So we just get to be more of ourselves and there's the kind of safety, the catching of ourselves uh, and the fulfilling of ourselves as we let go. Mm. So I think there's a safety in that. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah, and so, you know, a lot of people might approach healing these patterns through um, traditional therapy. And of course, um, you know, a lot of people will um, take the realization process and, and integrate it into different healing modalities. Um, uh, but the thing that um, really speaks to me of why it's really important to include, you know, the body in this is that I may have a real understanding intellectually or mentally of some patterns that have emerged in my life. Um, but because they occurred so for so long that they've become this constricted pathway in my body that my mind just can't overcome, you know, and, uh, like you, we even said earlier, we could go meditate on a mountaintop and those things will be with us because they've been integrated somatically you know, within right. ourselves. Um, so that's to me why it's like, oh, we have to include the body. Um, yes. and, yeah. yeah. So in terms of experiencing this relationally, we started already talking about this a little bit earlier um, with that experience of oneness. And you also talk about fundamental consciousness as a dimension of contact, which I really love. Um, because again, sometimes people can describe this fundamental consciousness only in certain ways, like this unchanging, spacious, openness, and then that's the end of the story. But to include this fundamental uh, a dimension of contact, um, that's really powerful to me. So can you say a little bit more about why fundamental consciousness in this experience is also a dimension of contact? Yeah, I think this is, uh, you know, just as embodiment is beginning to come more into the, the general knowledge of what it means to realize ourselves, relationship and with our, you know, with our contemporary knowledge of attachment issues and you know, everything that gets in the way of relationship, um, this is also beginning to come into this even very, uh, you know, we can say advanced uh, mm -hmm. level of spiritual realization. Apparently, Longchenpa or Shankara didn't have much <laughs> to say about relationships. You know, I don't mm -hmm. know if they had any yeah. or not. Yeah. They probably did, you know, but sure. they somehow uh, didn't talk about that at all, as far as I have been able to see. Yeah. But, but everywhere that this, that this uh, fundamental consciousness pervades, it touches, right? It's not just awareness. It's made of love and it's made of physical sensation. That's one of the things we attune to um, uh, in the realization process. So it actually is a, a kind of a touching in, a, in our own, of our own being, mm -hmm. right? Real contact is a hard thing to define, but yeah, it sure. is a kind of mix, kind of blend of touching, knowing, and feeling. Right? Mm. And, and that's just exactly the blend that, that we get uh, within ourselves and when we do this uh, kind of thing with somebody else, then when we're both attuned to fundamental consciousness, that we get the same sort of see, feel, know of the other person, deep, deep contact. Mm. 
Yes, you, and use uh, that uh, phrase "see feel," right? Is that the correct yeah. way? See feel. Yes, I yes. love that phrase. Yeah, and you know, a lot of it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I've been practicing for a long time, and I did in I practice a lot in Soak Jin, and what we're talking about here reminds me of the the end goal of how they describe it of a spontaneous presence in life. But for me, getting there in the way that we're talking about really absolutely requires this embodied approach. Like it's it's sort of like everything has come has come into into clarity for me only recently. And especially with these these experiences of uninjurable, the contact, the relational experience of this, really I don't know, it brings it into a clear lived experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, because we're in relationship with everything, the trees, the yeah. the, the chair. <laughs> yeah, and um Let's see, one, another quote related to this uh, from, from your book, uh, the intrinsic intimacy of fundamental consciousness and, and interdependence does not, oh, let's see, interdependence does not eradicate individuation and individuation does not eradicate interdependence. Yes. I'd love that phrase. Could you say a little bit more about that? Well, uh, yes. Um, you know, uh, just a few years ago, people were kind of grappling with this non-dual teachers and students. Can we have a relationship as as this, you know, in non-duality, well, yes, you know, we can yeah. have a wonderful intimate relationship as non-duality or in non-duality because if we know ourselves as fundamental consciousness, it pervades our own being and the other person at the same time. So we get to know ourselves at the same time, which means that we get to know, for example, what we really want with this other person or from this other person, mm. what our real responses are, mm. you know, our real attraction or, or not. Uh, so, um, yeah, so it reveals both our own being and the other person at the same time. Yeah, and um, you've just, uh, there's some different ways you've described this that I really loved. Um, you know, that we can feel really at home in ourselves that I am in me and I don't have to do anything to be present with another person, but at the same time, I am really connected with them. Yes. Yeah, and and sometimes it's it's it, in you know spiritual practice it goes the other way, like oh somehow I need to leave and merge, you know, with somebody else, and then that's the experience of oneness is where I leave my own individual experience and merge. <laughs> yes, I think it's I think it makes you know a lot of sense that oneness can't negate either. Yeah. <laughs> one self or the other. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I wondered if we could do maybe something briefly experiential, like something, uh, a simple uh, practice. Um, you mentioned uh, the pointing out the difference between um, being aware of our bodies yes. and living in our bodies. Yes. So that's really important. And, and uh, for a lot of people, it's really a new experience to be in the body and embodiment is considered uh, is thought of as being, you know, very aware of the body really, really knowing what the body, you know, feeling our feet on the ground, feeling yeah. our breath and so forth, which of course is very, also very important, but it's not yet the kind of embodiment from where we can let go into fundamental consciousness. For that, we have to be in the body, not just aware of it. So I do this little tiny exercise for that. Yeah. Now I can lead you through it just a couple of Great. minutes. Okay, so here we are. Come sit up. And just to, just to ground yourself, put your feet on the floor, or if you're very comfortable cross-legged, you can do it like that. Rest your hands on your legs, palms down. 
and take a moment to become aware of your hands. In becoming aware of your hands, you may notice how tense or relaxed they are, how warm or how cold they are. So you're aware of your hands. And now enter into your hands. Let yourself feel present and alive, living within the internal space of your hands. So it feels like you're actually conscious within your hands, that your hands are conscious. You know, you'll still know if they're warm or cold, but the consciousness within the hands is revealing that. So it's not a top-down kind of strategy. You're in your hands. And interestingly, when we enter into one part of the body like that, it makes it much easier to enter into the body as a whole because it is a dimension of wholeness. Inhabiting the body, we, we are a wholeness within the body. That uh, internal cohesion actually happens naturally as we enter in even to one part of the body. So, uh, so we do this, as, as we were saying earlier, we do this with every part of the body and then with the whole body. And then we attune to the pervasive space, uh, pervading the body and the environment. But um, but that's the way in, right? That mm-hmm. it's it's not a top-down function. Yeah, I loved um, that instruction there too. The it's consciousness revealing the experiences that we might notice, like temperature uh, of the hands, not top-down. That's mm-hmm. another pointing that out. Thank you. Um, so one last question here. Uh, is this path ever done? Do we, do we reach a grand finale? Because, you know, that's a, a thing, you know, in a lot of traditions where it's like we're going to reach that mountaintop and, mm-hmm. and things are done. So, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, no, I don't mean yes, it's done. I mean, yes, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, and um, I can't answer it. I'm not oh, done. you can't. <laughs> Darn it. We were looking for a final answer, Judith. <laughs> you keep finding more little bits of yourself. You keep opening, right? It's a yes. wonderful process. I don't know if it's an end point, but of course, we've all probably read, you know, what the biography yes. of a yogi uh, when we were kids, where the, his teacher could walk through walls. I mean, yeah. I think that's a natural outcome. You know, getting close to done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good indicator walking through walls. Yeah, yeah I, I don't quite have that yet. But you know, I'd like to ask though, because you know, especially if if things are separated out like this, you know, um, ideal enlightenment where we're just waking up beyond all the content of experience. You know, that kind of a spiritual bypassing, it can feel like, oh, no, there's a way to be done, and it can be very seductive. Like, oh, I just keep going down that path, and I won't have to deal with this other, <laughs> these other uh, difficult experiences. But also for me personally as I've gone deeper this process, the, the question and answer doesn't really matter anymore. Um, you know, but I wanted to ask it anyways, because I think it's on, it's, you know, people wonder about that. <laughs> well, I think what happens is we get to enjoy life more and more. Yeah. So needing to be rid of, you know, other human beings or anything, you know, uh, yes. You know, who, who needs it? You know, no, it's lovely to be here with other human yeah. beings and, you know, <laughs> Earth. It's, it's yeah. fantastic. So I think that happens maybe long before. I mean, that yeah, I think yeah. I can attest to yeah. uh, long before we're 
we're, you know, we're, we're done. Uh, I think it's more a matter, and this is only a matter of speculation, uh, at least for me, mm. is whether you're reborn again. You know, I mean, I think yes, in right. traditional teachings, that's how they put it, you know. Right, right. You know, whether you come back. And, and yes. again, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, well, why not? It's so pretty here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. Beautiful. Well, Judith, thank you so much for taking the time today to, to talk and always enjoy um, getting to sit and, and share like mm. this with you. And um, again, for anybody who wants to find out more about Judith's work, you can go to realizationprocess.org. And her new book is on Amazon, again, Trauma and the Unbound Body. Mm. So Judith, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Do you dig Buddhist geeks? Well, you at least made it through one episode. If you appreciate what we're doing, if you want to support what we're up to and also get access to some bonus content and early access to the podcast, you might want to consider becoming a Buddhist Geeks patron. You can find out more at patreon.com slash Buddhist Geeks, or just go to BuddhistGeeks.org and click become a patron. Patrons get early access to the podcast and can also get bonus content, preparation calls with guests before we have them on the show where we talk about what we're going to talk about and other kinds of bonus material content related to the show that we only prepare and offer to patrons. So please support Dharma in the age of the network. Please support Buddhist geeks. You did make it all the way through a whole episode. So there might be something there. Embodied success is an innovative new coaching program by our very good friend, Ryan Olkey. Whether you are an entrepreneur, a person who'd like to bring more passion and purpose to your work, or simply someone who wants to increase your embodied wisdom in your daily life, if you want to feel deep wholeness, joy, and confidence in your own embodied success, then this program is for you. The Embodied Success Coaching Program integrates Ryan's 20 years of experience, practice, and study of multiple fields, embodiment, business, marketing, meditation, psychology, somatic work, and philosophy. This training integrates all four essential paths of personal development, growing up, waking up, cleaning up, and showing up. The inner lessons are designed to help you with the first three, while the outer lessons help you leverage all of this inner work through innovative, management and marketing strategies that will allow you to show up more fully in your life and in your work, fully aligned with your deepest passion, purpose, and embodied wisdom. All supporting members of Integral Life receive an automatic 20% discount off this training program. Just log into your Integral Life account during checkout and the discount will be automatically applied. It's the same discount you receive for all of our training programs and digital products. If you want to learn more about embodied success, we encourage you to go to integrallife.com slash embodied success training to learn more. That's integrallife.com slash embodied dash success dash training.